0: Matthew 17, and to start in verse 22 this morning, it says, and while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, the son of man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again, and they were exceeding sorry. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and Said, doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the host, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. And Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and Cast a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take, and give unto them for me and thee. And what a interesting story that is. But as we, I'm just going to, I didn't want to skip over um, verse 22 and 23 this morning. This is obviously really what the whole gospel message is about, And that's the gospel message wrapped up in a nutshell there. And it's interesting that it is. It's just this very short statement. And it says, While they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day, he shall be raised, he shall be raised again. And they're exceeding sorry. And, that's, that's like, and then it moves on to the next thing there's no discussion there's no nothing else with that it's just we're here Jesus said this they're sorry <laughs> and it's just this little thing that it's easy to pass that over but that is like the most important thing to get out of all of what we're studying is what Jesus is saying there and if you remember back in chapter 16 Verse 21 says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So he started to really preach that message, and he's repeating that message again now. But at that time, in chapter 16, it says Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee, Jesus turned and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. This time, Peter's quiet. <laughs> and it just says they were exceeding sorry. It's like, I, don't, I still don't like this message, Jesus. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want this to be your end. But he had learned enough of the lesson to not rebuke Jesus about saying it again. Um, and they're starting to learn, they're starting to grow. And that message, 1 Corinthians 15, I'm just gonna to turn to it and read it, is stated almost the same way here. And I've always thought that this was probably the most clear statement of the gospel as far as what specifically we need to believe to be saved and again it's in a nutshell it Says 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 says moreover brethren I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye received and wherein you stand by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And the scriptures were clear. We can go back through the Old Testament. And we can see clearly that this is exactly what the Messiah was coming to do. Now, they didn't understand that message when he was there. It was, it's really more understood now as we're looking back at what took place. But this is exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew 17, 22, and 23. The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And he's crucified on that cross for our sin, and it's belief in that he was that perfect sacrifice, that sinless offering, without spot, without blemish, that was sufficient not just to pay for his own sin, but for all of our sin. And what an important message to understand. That that death wasn't, he, just, he wasn't dead and gone. Death couldn't hold him. But he was resurrected. And that's where we get our hope of an eternal home with him in heaven. We can have a hope of our own resurrection through that, through his power. I don't want to speak lightly of it or just pass over that, but we've preached that gospel message many times. I want to make sure it's preached on a regular basis here, but we need to to carry on as well and and look at some of the other things that once we know that message, once we believe that message, we do need to grow beyond that and, and learn some more things that he has for us and so we'll continue this morning as we look at verse 24 through 27 right at the end of the chapter it says this next thing it says when they came to Capernaum they that received tribute money came to Peter and says does your master pay tribute and he said yes and then he goes into the house and it says Jesus prevented him and then starts this conversation and I don't know how well you guys picture the events that take place here. (laughs) Um, Jen's sister's trying to redo or wants to redo her kitchen, but she hasn't got much of an ability to imagine what it's going to look like in a different, you know, things in different places. And she she can't picture this new (laughs) design. Um, she has a real hard time getting that image into her head and figuring out what that would actually look like. But Jen can sit there and picture it, and she knows she can come up with every kind of scenario, and she'll sit there and she'll sketch exactly what it'll look like. She can hand that sketch over, and she did that. we did that in her, in her porch um, as well. There's a couple cupboards in the porch and a freezer and a closet. So I was like, well, do you want the porch to match the kitchen? And yeah, and, so Jen just sat there and drew this idea. And, she, and her sister's flabbergasted that she can do that <laughs> because in her mind, she can't get this picture. Um, and I think so, that's something that some people have a, obviously a better gift at than others. But I find it, it's helpful to us to try to get that image in our mind of what's taking place as we're reading some of these stories, get a picture of the people and where they're situated and and what's going on. The picture I got in my head as I'm looking at this next story is I think they're already in Capernaum. I think Jesus is in someone's house. I think probably most of the disciples, and there's probably a crowd in there. And Peter is outside for whatever reason and the tax collectors or these people collecting tribute money come along and question him does your master pay tribute and so peter's kind of stuck as the one answering the question here he appears to be the only one in this one on this confrontation without jesus being with him because he goes into the house to talk to Jesus. So I'm looking at these tax collectors, standing there asking Peter about collecting the taxes for him and for for Jesus, the disciples, whatever. And he goes into the house to try to talk to Jesus about it, and it says Jesus prevented him. (laughs) Like, he's trying to open his mouth and and ask this, like, what am I going to do with this? Do we have money? And Jesus just stops him and starts asking this question. He says, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? And Peter says, Of strangers. And Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. And so I see Jesus takes this opportunity. And what does that have to like what does that have to do with the tax money? <laughs> this little conversation that Jesus brings up. It's like was that necessary? What was the point of that? But it seems like Jesus takes every opportunity to teach us something that's And, you know, we talk about parables are like an earthly example of a heavenly truth or something like that. And this is one of those things where Jesus takes this situation where here's a everyday circumstance that we all face. We have to pay our taxes. And then he teaches a lesson about spiritual things from it. He doesn't even clarify that. He just does it. (laughs) When Peter answers, who who do they take their taxes from? Peter says, of strangers. It's not, you don't tax your own kids. Some parents at Halloween tax their kids. They're just teaching them a lesson, right? They get the candy and tax the kids. You gotta take your share as a parent. But we're teaching them of what the world is like, right? parents don't tax their children the kings of the earth don't tax their own families they tax the strangers the, the people the subjects um i think we're learning more and more of what it's like to be a subject <laughs> to a king right and there's a there's a difference in the rules that the leaders and their families follow compared to the rules that we follow and it's not supposed to be like that, but clearly it is, because we see it in the news on a, on a daily basis almost, of these things that they do, and yet nothing comes of it. There's no consequence for them. Whereas we know that we could not get away with even the slightest similar things that, that those people do. And it's, there's a difference between the leaders and the servants. We know that. And Peter, like Jesus asks the question, "Is like, who doesn't know that? <laughs> we all know the answer to that question. And Peter answers, of strangers. And Jesus answers, then are the children free? And then, it goes on to the next verse, but we'll just look at this concept of the children versus servants, just for a moment. We've looked a little bit at it during our Bible study time. Even um first John three, one I'll turn and read it just to make, make sure I have it right. We've been studying in first John. And this came up in chapter three, verse one says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. We're the sons of God. And there's some privilege that comes with that. I'm going to look at a couple of different passages. Galatians chapter 4, to start with. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. And just simply, when you're, if you were in a household that you had servants, most of us don't have servants that I know of. (laughs) But as the children are children, they're sort of the same as servants, right? Our kids know, they feel like they're servants. (laughs) They have chores to do and they have jobs to do and they're learning the tasks of life by being put in that circumstance. And so they're in a similar circumstance as a servant would be at that young age. But it says, though they are Lord of all. When they grow up, all that stuff's gonna be theirs and those servants are gonna be their servants. But while they're children, while they're being trained up, they have rules to follow, they have lessons to learn. And so they are treated much like a servant is treated during those early years. Chapter or verse 2 says, but, under, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. So we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so we see that comparison And it's just like Jesus is making that comparison of the servants versus the children of the the king or the the rulers. We see that a child of even a ruler is like a servant while they're a child. And they're in bondage in that sense that they have to follow the rules of the parents. Those children are often under the direction of actual servants and have to obey those servants during those young years. And he compares that to us as, just as people under the law, under God's law, and were subject to that law. It says, verse 3, even so when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of the time was come. So we're in bondage to the elements of the world. Like We're subject to all of these things. We have all the needs and we have all of the the desires and the lusts and the the struggles that this world gives. But it's just while we're children. (laughs) It's during that formative time to teach us the lessons that we need to learn. verse 5 says to them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons because your sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying Abba Father wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son and if a son then an heir of God through Christ remember Jesus said that we be Lord of all or at the beginning verse here says though he be Lord of all the child is actually Lord of all we're going to be rulers with Christ in his kingdom. There was, a, there was a formative stage. We have to go through this life and be subject to the things of this world at this time. But that's not our eternal position. Our eternal position is free. We're the children of God. We're going to inherit God's kingdom. Can you imagine? <laughs> do, do you deserve that? Because I sure no I don't. <laughs> But what child deserves the inheritance of their parents? (laughs) They don't earn that, right? It's not something that you deserve. It's just that is your right as a child. And as a child of God, we gain that right. Um, I didn't write down the verse, and it's in John I should know where it is, but I don't. But that, the verse in John that says, to them that believe gave he power to become the sons of God. One, 1 twelve. 1, 12. I, was in, I was close, I was in 10.12. There was a one. John 1-12. But to them that believe on him gave he power to become the sons of God. believe that simple gospel message that Christ died for our sins. And we get the power to become the sons of God. And it's not, that power isn't in me. (laughs) I now, I possess the power, I can become the son of God. God puts that power in us and we become the sons of God through his grace. Romans chapter eight, if you want to turn there. many verses that we could turn to to talk about this topic. Um, This is just another one that gives some clarity and maybe helps us to understand it a little bit better. So um, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. And here we get that statement again. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We get to call God our Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. I'm going to read the next verse in a moment, but pausing there, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you believe in Him, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you are the Son of God and joint your, and if children, then heirs, you're going to inherit His kingdom. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And I that, think that puts it into perspective. If we realize who Christ is, he is God in the flesh. He is who it all belongs to. Everything. And we get to co-inherit that. Wow. trying to come up with some verses that really build that thought in our heads psalm 24 verse 1 try to understand (laughs) what god possesses everything psalm 24 verse 1 says the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof the world and all they that dwell therein psalm 50 verse 10 says for every beast of the forest is mine And the cattle upon a thousand hills. And that's just like, that's an understatement. (laughs) Right? It's just, they're all mine, is what God is saying. And I love verse 12 in Psalm 50. It says, if I was hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. God's not going to waste his time asking you and me for a meal. (laughs) like he needs anything from us. He's not going to tell us that he's hungry. (laughs) That we could actually, as if we have something to offer. It's all his. (laughs) He can have whatever he wants. And he generously gives it to us. He loans us what he has. If we go back to Matthew 17... And we look at this last verse. Did I finish that? I didn't, did I? I lost it, though. <laughs> Romans 8, verse 18. says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, remember it says, if so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. We're going to suffer for Christ. He wasn't exactly well received um, in this world. That's why he's giving these statements that he is going to be turned over. He's going to be crucified. He wasn't well received. And we, if we follow him, are going to suffer with him that we may be glorified together verse 18 says for i reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us whatever happens here remember second corinthians 4 that i'm perplexed but not (laughs) i'm not distressed i don't have to worry like yeah, I don't know what's going on here, and I don't know what to do with the things that are going on around me. But I don't have to worry and fret over these things. I can just, hear God, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> and he'll take care of it. And he says, the sufferings of this present time, we're going to suffer. There are going to be problems that aren't solved in our lives in this world. But those things aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that he's prepared for us. Back in Matthew 17, verse 27. It says, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. These tax collectors. Go thou to the sea. I'm still picturing... The tax collector standing outside the door as they're having this conversation. They're waiting for their, with their hands out. And Jesus stops him and has this conversation first. And he says, okay, well, instead of offending these guys and sending them on their way, he says, go to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish. <laughs> Peter, go fishing. <laughs> Get these guys to sit here and wait for their money. And go fishing. I can't imagine what this tax collector is thinking at that moment. Peter walks back out of the house and says, ah, just hang on a minute. He grabs his fishing pole and heads over to the shore. Like, Go out to the sea, cast a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. I wonder how long it took to catch that fish. Was it right away? Does he cast first in and first, cast, <laughs> first cast, or is it like these guys are waiting? So let's just make them wait for a little while. <laughs> did, did did he did he even bait the hook? I, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the fish is obviously waiting. It's there, ready for that. The fish that first cometh up, when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. It's the right amount of money sitting in this fish's mouth that he's catching. Can you imagine being the tax collector at that moment? (laughs) It's like, hang on, i got my money over here. (laughs) I keep my wallet in the ocean. I don't know. Can you picture what's going on in these people's minds at this point? But this is the God that we serve. This is the God that we're trusting in. As we lose our jobs, (laughs) as we don't know how to pay our mortgages, that's the God that's taking care of us. We don't have to worry where that money is going to come from to pay our bills. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you're trying to work, if you're trying to take care of your family, if you're doing what you can, He will provide. And it doesn't come the way we expect it to come. It's not necessarily going to come in a paycheck from an employer. But God's going to provide for his children. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. We don't have to fret and worry and stress over these little things of paying our bills and feeding our families. Worry about Doing the things that God told you to do. And if you're a man, and you've got a family, that means you've got to go work. <laughs> I don't know what that work is going to look like, because when you get sent home from your job, well, you don't sit on the couch and watch soap operas all day. That's, there's something out there for you to do. <laughs> right, Brian? <laughs> Sorry that it works for Brian, but <laughs> he makes the soap. But we have to do something. We have to be productive. And that productivity doesn't necessarily look like what it has always looked like or what we think it ought to look like. But as long as we're trying to be productive and we're trying to do the things that God told us to do, and for us men, that's get out there and work for the mothers, let's take care of those kids. Take care of your home. Do whatever God puts in front of you to do. And He will take care of you. When the tax man comes, (laughs) go fishing. (laughs) You don't know where God's blessings are going to come from. Just trust that He will provide it. Can you imagine what Peter is thinking at this moment, even? It's like um, the guy's standing outside the door waiting for his money, and Jesus says, yeah, go fishing. What does Peter do? He does it. If God is guiding you to do some foolish thing that doesn't make any sense, like walking away from your regular nine-to-five job, to do something that he's guiding you to do, he's telling you to pack up your family and move across the country, then do it. And trust him to follow through with his part and to provide for your needs. We don't know how God is going to take care of us, but we can trust that he will. And he does it over and over and over again. We've seen it in our lives. have seen it in other people's lives and we see it throughout scripture and through impossible circumstances we look at i can never remember elijah or elisha but with the widow woman and i guess it's elijah because he says stop the rain and the rain stops and god feeds him he says go sit by this creek and you can drink the creek water and the birds are going to bring you food Can you imagine that being how God provides for you? Is A bird comes and drops off your meal each day for years. (laughs) And then the next solution is get up and go to this woman who is out of food and ask her for her last bite of food. Instead of her feeding her kid, she's going to feed you. And I'm going to make sure that never ends until all of this is over, and he does, and she does. Can you imagine being that mom? I'm just like, I'm just trying to make this last meal for me and my kid, and, but he says, feed me first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Can you imagine giving up that last bite of your own and for your starving kid? And this guy comes along and asks for that last meal, but God replenishes it day by day. I I don't think that barrel ever filled up. (laughs) I don't think the oil ever filled the jug. It was just like every day you scoop the last bit out and you go back the next time and you scoop the last bit out and it's still there. (laughs) That last bit is still there to make that next meal. And that's how God can work in our lives. It's like, it's through the impossibilities. And it's just, will you trust him to do what he said he would do for you? Will you trust him to take care of you and your family? And we can. We see example after example of him doing it. So trust him. I'm going to read that Second Corinthians again. As we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. This is what God can do. We just put your trust in God. Let's pray. Lord, I'm glad that we can. That we have a God who owns everything. That there is no limit to your riches. There's no limit to your power, Lord. Lord, we're going to face circumstances. We're going to face struggles and trials, persecution. And as this verse says, we'll be perplexed. We won't know what to do. But Lord, help us in that moment to put our trust in you and to not be in despair and just to watch what you will do in lives, Lord, how you are going to provide for our needs as we trust in you, Lord. Help us to have that kind of faith. Help us to trust you in all these things, Lord, we pray in Christ's name, amen.